0: It is good to see each of you. If you would be open your Bibles to Ephesians, the first chapter, Ephesians, the first chapter, that should be on page 1037 of your pew Bibles. If you follow along there, Uh, we'll begin a study tonight on the book of Ephesians and over uh, several Sunday nights, uh, we will cover much, not all, but much of the book of Ephesians, which is a wonderful, wonderful study Uh, Be reading that on your own time and be studying that and we'll be blessed by the time that we can spend together even greater if we're individually doing that. Uh, Ladies, look forward to the Ladies Inspiration Day that's coming up this coming Saturday. Be sure and mark your calendars, make your plans and give your invitations to other uh, ladies that you know for them to also benefit from the wonderful day. Also keep in mind next Sunday evening will be the Meals on Wheels Appreciation uh, Banquet and we appreciate... About a hundred of you are actively involved in this good work, and what a blessing it is. It serves individuals every week. We're thankful to have the opportunity to serve those individuals, and we're thankful for the ones that work in the program as servants, and we want to take the opportunity to show the appreciation uh, that you deserve, and so make sure that, that you are aware of that and that you're planning on that. Uh, God's blessed us with many, many wonderful opportunities. Let's make sure that each of us finds our place and give God the glory for everything that we can do good in His name. What would be your attitude if you were in prison and you had not done anything wrong? You were there and you did not deserve to be there. You know, when we look at the book of Ephesians, there's something that stands out to me in the way that Paul identifies himself. In Ephesians, the fourth chapter, look at verse 1 there. Ephesians 4 and 1, he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Paul was in prison for preaching the gospel. He'd not done anything wrong. He'd done everything right. But yet he still was in prison. And instead of writing a letter and complaining and saying, Life is unfair. People have mistreated me. I want somebody to come and try to bail me out. I want somebody to pull some political strings. Instead of spending all of his time worrying about himself, he says, I've identified myself. I'm now a prisoner of the Lord. The Lord wasn't holding him there. In other words, he's saying, If in prison is where I am, I'll serve the Lord right here in prison. Friends, where are you today? Wherever you are, can you say, I'm a servant of the Lord where I am? In school, in work, in your family, in your community, in situations that are maybe uncomfortable, that you find yourself in this coming week, can you say, I belong to the Lord? The book of Ephesians is rich. One reason why I love the book of Ephesians so much is the book of Ephesians is probably one of the closest times that we get of literally sitting at the feet of Paul, and it is written more of an oratory style. It is more like listening to Paul preach a sermon than, I guess, any other writings of Paul. So if you've ever thought, oh, I wish I could just sit and listen to Paul preach, study Ephesians. That's your opportunity to listen to Paul preach. Now, as we think about just a few introductory remarks about the book of Ephesians... Ephesians is the sister companion of Colossians. There are 78 phrases that are the same of the 155 verses in Ephesians and Colossians. Colossians emphasizes Christ, the head of the church. Ephesians emphasizes the church, the body of Christ. With that in mind, that's why one particular scholar, he makes this statement about the study of Ephesians. He says, this epistle should be studied frequently for the sake of promoting a healthy image of the church in the minds of its membership. You know, for example, it was written... While Paul was in prison, that was his attitude. I'm going to work for the Lord. So while I'm sitting in prison, one thing I can do is I can write others and encourage them. So he writes the book of Ephesians. He writes uh, Philippians. He writes Colossians. And he also writes Philemon. Now let's think about, for example, if we were to compare Paul's writing in Galatians, we would see a very corrective tone that he carries about. And if we were to see his writing to the church at Philippi, Philippians, we see a very uh, upbeat, a very motivational type tone. But you know, when, when you see his tone in Ephesians, it's very calm and victorious. In other words, it's clear that he's writing to a church that is a healthy church we could easily break down the book of Ephesians by talking about our heritage and inheritance and the last half of the book talking about our life. Now, as we think about our life, it would be the life we live if Christ is in us. If we talk about our inheritance that we gain, it's because we are in Christ You remember several Sunday mornings ago, I mentioned to you how important that phrase in Christ is if we're going to understand what God wants us to be. You're going to see that phrase over and over and over because Paul uses that teaching over and over. And so we find out the great blessing that we can have in the first half of this book if we live our life in Christ, the great inheritance. And then the last half of the book, you remember the fourth chapter talks about the church, the fifth chapter talks about the family, the sixth chapter talks a little bit more about the family, servanthood, and even the uh, Christian armor. You see, all of those things are dependent upon whether or not Christ is living in us. What kind of family member are you going to be? What kind of church member are you going to be? What kind of soldier of the cross are you going to be? It all is determined based upon if Christ is living in us. And so those are some things to consider as we study the book of Ephesians. Now I want to throw out one more thing as just a challenge to your individual study or even as we study together on these Sunday nights. One of the things that you notice very quickly as you do an in-depth study in Ephesians is you notice the long sentence structure. You know, sometimes we'll read a verse and we'll say, now the best to understand that verse, you need to read the verses above it and the verses below it. That's never been more true than in the book of Ephesians. Because usually when you read the verse above and the verse below, you still haven't completed one sentence. And so it is written in a style that demands us to continue a thought verse after verse and then put multiple thoughts together to get the whole picture of just one sentence. At a casual read, we miss much of the teachings of Ephesians because of that fact. So I want to challenge you tonight let's give careful thought. Let's open our Bibles and let's look in depth and let's see what God has in mind for us. Let me point out to you just a couple of things to note and then we will just read through and, and work through a few of these verses. We're going to study primarily out of Ephesians, the first chapter, verse 3 through verse 14 this evening. There are three major breakdowns within this par- these paragraphs. We see the importance of the Godhead. You probably noticed the title tonight about it begins with God. It all begins with God. And so as Paul is writing here to the church that meets in Ephesus, he begins with God. And he talks how God the Father has blessed our life. He talks about how God the Son has redeemed our life. And he talks about how God the Spirit has sealed or guaranteed our life. Now that right there is the three main points that we see naturally unfold from this paragraph. If you have your Bibles open, I hope you do, glance with me at just a few verses here and notice how this is the concluding phrase of each of these three points that Paul is making. Look in verse 6 where he says, he's talked about the blessing of the Father and he says in verse 6, to the praise of the glory of His grace by which He's made us accepted in the beloved. Notice that phrase, the praise of the glory of His grace. Then in 7 through 12, we read about the Son. But notice how this is finished in verse 12. That we who first trusted in Christ, notice that phrase in Christ, should be to the praise of His glory. Now notice the end of verse 14 as he talks about sealed with the Spirit. At the end of that, he says in 14, to the praise of His glory. Do you think Paul is wanting us to get the picture that we need to understand that God is due His glory? He talks about the Father, he says, to the praise of his glory. He talks to the Son, about the Son, he says, to the praise of his glory. He talks about the Holy Spirit, he says, to the praise of his glory. Friends, it all begins and ends with God when we talk about the church. And someone says, and I hope you're one of those ones that says, well, yes, who would think otherwise? Friends, turn on the television, visit another church, and you know what you'll find far too often? you'll find a sermon that has very little bit of God's Word and a whole lot of man's thinking and reasoning. Why? Because there is a strong movement today that we can have a tremendous religion that will fulfill everybody's needs. We just don't have to have much of God. And instead, Paul is writing to a church that's healthy. And he's writing a very, uh, a very powerful epistle to just build up this healthy church. And he's saying over and over and over, praise to his glory. When we have an eldership that everything they decide is based upon praise to his glory. When we have deacons that lead their ministries and everything is done by praise to his glory. When we have every member in this congregation living their life, serving in the kingdom with an anticipation and and an expectation in their life. That they're going to live their life praise to His glory, when we have families living praise to His glory, when we have young people going to school tomorrow to live their life at school with praising to His glory, when we have adults going into the workplace, living their life tomorrow, praising His glory. Friends, that's what the healthy church is all about. What is it that he wants us to see about the Father? First, he wants us to see that this Father is blessed. Look at verse, the third verse, the first word, the third verse. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice the topic here is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. As we read through these verses about the Father, almost every verse is going to talk about the Father, it's going to talk about Jesus, and it's going to talk about us. We need to make sure that we're following this. Each verse, what is he saying about the Father that involves Jesus, that involves us? But the topic here, the first few verses, three, four, five, and 6, is about the Father. Well, notice about this Father, that's the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. So he's blessed, and he's blessing us with every spiritual, not carnal blessing, but every complete blessing spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, not material not temporal, but every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, now where are those blessings found? In Christ that's where the Father has chosen to bless us we decide to live our life in Christ and the Father has chosen to bless us with every spiritual blessing, we decide to live our life in the world and the Father has not chosen to bless us there This brings us right to the very next verse, which, keep in mind, is still the same sentence. It's a comma at the end of three. Just as He chose us... Now, where did He choose us? In Him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Let's pause there. We're chosen. He's going to even speak in verse 5 about predestination. Keep in mind, He's not talking about specific individuals here. He is talking about a chosen people. He's talking about people that are predestined. And if we allow the verses to teach themselves, it's very clear. The chosen people are in Christ. The predestined people are in Him. Now, if I want to be blessed, if I want to be chosen, if I want to be predestined, how can I be a part of that group? I have to find out what I need to do to be in Christ. Let's see this about predestination and link adoption with it as we read verse 5. Still continuing the same sentence of how the Father blesses us. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself. And this is revealing here. According to the good pleasure of His will. Now let's pause right here and just put this in parentheses for a minute. This is powerful. Why would God bless you and I? Why would He choose us? Why would He adopt us? It's according to His good pleasure. That is what brings God pleasure. I don't know if some of us can remember back far enough to remember when our parents wanted us to do something. And we did it. And maybe, maybe it caught them off guard a little bit. And you remember when they gave you that smile, that was that assuring smile that, that pleased them that you chose to obey them? You remember that? And and you said to yourself with, with a real warm and 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 and, and a secure feeling, you said to yourself, Oh that that brought them happiness. They they like that. Friends, it's the good pleasure of God. That he could send Jesus. Now think about what we've been studying on Sunday mornings. He sent Jesus because he wanted to give a way for individuals to be in Christ so that we could be blessed, chosen, predestined, adopted. It was his good pleasure. That's the God we serve. We don't serve a God that's just waiting to see how quick He can point a finger at us because He dislikes us and and He wants to catch us in wrong. We serve a God who's done everything that He can do for us to be a part of His family, adoption, because it's a part of His good pleasure. Now, having said all that, He ties this up in verse 6 to complete this one sentence. To the praise of the glory of His grace. By which He made us accepted. Now where are we accepted? It's still in Christ again. In the beloved. How do we become accepted? It's by Jesus. Why? How? Because of the grace of God. And that's why we give Him the praise and the glories for His grace. Because He's given us a way to be in Jesus. What a beautiful thought. Tonight I need to realize it all begins with God. It begins with God the Father saying, it's my good pleasure to make a way for you. But then we continue here studying Paul's words in verse 7 as we think about what he says about the redemption that we find in Jesus. Notice we're still talking about in him, in Christ, verse 7, we have redemption. It's being bought back, but what was the purchase price of us being bought back? It's through his blood. What did that offer? The forgiveness of our sins according to what? The riches of His grace. Pause right there. Do you appreciate the riches of His grace? We just read about redemption and forgiveness by the blood of Jesus. Now, just to make a point, start on these toes and let's work back. How many of us, when we read that verse just then, how many of us said to ourselves, Thank you, Lord. What a gift. Jesus died for me. I'm forgiven because of the blood of Jesus. Wait a minute, was grace there real cheap? Was it insufficient? The riches of His grace. Why would He speak about the forgiveness of sins, the redemption of our soul by the blood of Jesus and then summarize it in this one verse by saying it's the riches of His grace? And then that calls me to test my own life. Do I still believe that it's rich or have I started taking it for granted? Now I know there's some here that have just started serving the Lord this year and, and that's a wonderful thing. But there are others here that you've been serving the Lord for decades. Just because we have had the grace of God, the riches of His grace in our life for decades, does that diminish its riches? I've used an illustration similar to this before, but but to make the point, allow me to do so again. I want you to imagine that, that you are catching the train each morning to ride into Nashville to work. And tomorrow morning, someone does the strangest thing. They come up to you and they say, would you mind, I would like to give you $10. And you say, Oh, that's okay. No, no, really. I just want to do something good for someone. And, and I've just seen you here. And I really, really want you to you can buy lunch, whatever you want. I just want you to have this gift. Well, thank you. Thank you. And you go to work. You say, strangest thing. This, this guy just gave me $10 today. Isn't that cool? And, and you go home and you tell your family a supper. Wasn't that the neatest thing? Because this stranger walked out of nowhere and he gave me this gift. Wow, it was really great. You see how you're appreciating it? You say, whoa, this is neat. And you know what? Blows you away. Tuesday morning, he shows up again. He says, really, I want you to have it again today. Listen, I can't. No, I can't do it. No, really, I want you to have it. This happens Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And you're saying to yourself on Monday, I wonder what's the odds of this guy doing this again this week. And he shows up again Monday. And he gives you $10. And you say to yourself, you know what? I'm not going to take a lunch on Tuesday. I'm just going to use his $10 to buy me lunch. He does show up. He gives you $10 and you buy lunch. And this goes on for a year. One day he's a few minutes late. Kind of rubs you the wrong way. Why would, why would he be late with your $10? Then one day, he doesn't show up. And you're offended. You haven't done anything different. After all, doesn't he owe this to you? A few days later, he shows up and he offers you 10 and you're miffed at him. I don't understand where you were the last few days. Could it be that the almost $2,500 to $3,000 he's given us over the past year, We fail to appreciate because we've just grown to expect and then also take for granted the gift. And friends, that's just with $10. Tonight, I don't know what you're going to take from this lesson, from the study of God's Word, but I beg you to give serious thought to this one simple phrase when he refers to redemption that was paid for by the blood of Jesus, that brought you and I the forgiveness of sins, and He says that it was the riches of His grace. Maybe you've enjoyed that for many years. It does not mean that we ever should just take it for granted. Jesus died for you. And that is the richest gift anybody will ever and could ever offer to you and I. And so he's wanting us to understand it. That. That's how he begins his sentence of saying, let's talk about the sun for a few minutes. And there's several verses here, and, and we've hit on, on really the core of these verses, but let's just comment on a few things and, and then work down to the spirit in verse 13. And read along with me if you will in verse 8. We're in Ephesians, the first chapter. Notice what he says talking about the son, which he had made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will. And some mystery doesn't mean that we need clues to understand. It It means that one time it was unknown, but of course, when Christ came and died and then the apostles began to speak by inspiration and write by inspiration, now that mystery is known to us, which we hold in our hands as the New Testament, according to his, now here it is again, according to his good pleasure, Why did Jesus die? Why did Jesus reveal His will in the New Testament? It was the good pleasure of God. He wants us to know that. Now, let's continue reading in 10. That in the dispensation of the fullness of the times He might gather together in one all things in Christ both which are in heaven and which are on the earth in Him. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Here we go, verse 12. This is our closing each time. And this time he links trust with it. That we who first trusted, and notice it's in Christ, trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. Probably in an audience this size. We have a young person right now probably, and I'm just making this up, but I would assume this would be the case that they're wrestling right now with the fact that if they really trust Jesus they're afraid of what that might do to their reputation at school. We probably have an adult in this room that they're afraid that if they really trust Jesus how that might affect them being promoted because they might not report things the same and they might not conduct themselves in the same way and they don't trust that if they live their life in submission to Jesus, that their life would be better than if they live it their way. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Another way that we could teach that, describe that, if any man will come after Jesus, stop trusting in themselves and start trusting in Jesus. Friends, I'm not really trusting in Jesus when I live for Him 90% of the time, but that last 10%, I just don't trust Him. I don't think I'll have as much fun. I don't think I'll have as much fulfillment. I don't think I'll have enough riches. I don't think I'll have the popularity. Whatever it is, we're telling ourselves that, that we're just stopping from giving Him our all. What is it that I don't trust about Jesus? The great praise and glory is when we can trust Him and give it all. But then finally, we see that we can be sealed by the Spirit. Look at verse 13. In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of salvation, and whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. And here it is. To the praise of His glory. Guaranteed is a partial payment of that which is to come. You remember when we read in Acts the second chapter that uh, we we read about repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then verse 39 for the promise. What was the promise? The promise was that upon baptism we'll be given the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off. As many as the Lord our God will call. That was the promise from the day of Pentecost. That when we are believers and we're baptized into Christ, not only are our sins remissed, but we're given a gift of the Spirit that becomes a seal. It's a partial payment of the greater that is to come. And you remember Galatians, the fifth chapter? What changes in our life when we're given the Spirit? We start producing the fruit of the Spirit. And in that sense, we begin to enjoy a new life. A life that is just a small portion of what it will ultimately be to live a life before God in heaven on that final inheritance. If you were holding something for someone expecting the greater payment you would guard that partial gift. Tonight I need to ask myself Am I creating a place for the Spirit of God to dwell? Holding that partial, that guarantee, sealed by the Spirit, waiting for that coming, that day when the inheritance will be given in full. Now, we're not reopening the sermon, but but note this. The first half of Ephesians is about us in Christ and the inheritance it gives. That's what we've just studied. The last half is about Christ in us and the life it produces. Tonight we've seen what it is to be blessed by the Father, saved by the Son, sealed by the Spirit. Do you have that blessing? If you've never been saved, won't you be baptized into Christ's remission of sins tonight? Maybe you have been saved and somewhere along the way you've lost the way. Won't you come back to Him tonight? If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.